playing the ukulele badly because this podcast is self-produced weird stuff has happened in the past and here i am to tell you about it i guess yeah i will yeah absurd real history hello and welcome to absurd real history the podcast where i find weird stories from the past and tell them to interesting people Today is kind of different because it's Mother's Day, so I thought I would talk to my own mother about her own history. So introducing my very fabulous mother, Susanna O'Conneen. Hi, Mom. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> Are you getting on? Grand. We never, we never see each other. Not like we've been in lockdown in a house together for ever. <laughs> it's a big house, thank goodness. Thank goodness you can keep a keep away from me. So my mom, Susanna. Grew up in Potsdam, New York, which is very upstate New York. It's about a five, six hour drive from New York City. So when people hear New York, I think particularly Irish people, they get confused and just assume big city. It's like, no, no, it's very, very country. Correct. Uh, When I emigrated to Ireland, I had to fly from Montreal, which was my closest international airport. So you, you studied engineering at a time where there wasn't really I mean there still isn't a lot of female engineers but when you did it there was particularly not that many engineers that was one of the perks (laughs) what do you mean by perks (laughs) well one of six women in a class of 600 lads is a perk when you're a college student (laughs) so what year was that then uh graduated with a degree in structural engineering in 1977. So you graduated in 1977, and was it a four-year course? It was, but I did my first year at St. Lawrence University as a physics major. I'm so sorry. That's okay. (laughs) I was a physics major, but I discovered, not to any great shock, that I was not one of the six smartest people in the entire world. And I sort of felt there was no point in being a physicist if you weren't one of the top six. I wasn't going to discover anything amazing, partly because I'm slightly too lazy for it and I'm more eclectic in my interests. So I switched to engineering because it's kind of more cookbook stuff, easy. You just keep in within specs. So. <laughs> Engineering's just easy. <laughs> Compared to physics it is. <laughs> I couldn't do engineering. Yeah, well I couldn't do half the stuff you do. Oh bless. <laughs> So you, you said in being one of six women in a course of 600 yeah. men, was it? You're Happy saying that days. you're saying that like it was a, a positive. But totally. <laughs> so there was no negatives to being in a male-dominated... Not in schooling. No? No. I didn't hit the negatives from the feminist point of view until... Well, one professor didn't think women should be in it, but I was just so awesome. Did you change his tune or how? I didn't really care about his tune. I got, uh, I mean, he couldn't misgrade me, but he did tend to grade me hard, but I aced the course anyway. So there, (laughs) if you could see me, I'm sticking my tongue out at you. (laughs) (laughs) But that's still not really It was in the workplace that it was harder. It was harder in the workplace. Correct. So why do you think it wasn't harder in, in school then? But also you said that, but it's also not fair that you were graded at a different level that you had to ace all the tests you couldn't just pass them I didn't have to ace all of them it was a personal thing too I mean really I think I was always of a more practical bent and I really don't and even less now that I'm older 
it's great about getting older. <laughs> you just care less about other people. Yeah. Because you realize everybody's screwed up in one way or the other. And you just be yourself and be honest to yourself. Uh, but I always was more of the type to, to compare myself to what I myself am capable of. And when I fall short of the mark of what I expect from myself, then I'm disappointed. And I, you know, there's no point in getting upset over what somebody else thinks about you because you can't really change other people's attitudes, but you can change how you deal with these things yourself. And that's yeah. the way I've always approached it. That's very, very true. Words of wisdom. So you didn't feel discriminated against at all during your schooling? I didn't think about it. It just wasn't even a... I mean, I knew feminism and all that was going on and, you know... Going on. <laughs> well, I mean, there were people burning bras. I didn't even need to wear one, so I didn't care, you know. <laughs> there were people... It, to me, those were pointless, stupid activities, but I, I didn't really get upset about them. I just carried on being myself. I was a college kid, so obviously I had a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wasn't unattractive in my college days, so... I'm sure you were a babe. I was a babe a bit. <laughs> I, I enjoyed myself, but I also enjoyed stretching my mind. I, I particularly enjoyed um, heavier mathematics, you know, like matrix methods and calculus. I wasn't great on, on trigonometry and that end of things, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the puzzles of it. I like solving puzzles. And you still I, do. I still do, yeah. So what was it like being a college student in the 1970s? in a small upstate town in America? We were fairly isolated because where we were, we are north of the snow belt. Yeah. Which would have run like Buffalo, Syracuse, Albany. And New York City would be south of the snow belt. And St. Lawrence County is the bit they cut off and stick in Lake Ontario to make the map sort of more square. You know, <laughs> we had a, a 2% per square mile population density. And the universities would have been full of people during the school year, as it were. But we also would be cut off by the snow belt south of us. We had the Canadian polar winds come into us. So, as such, we like we were a little behind the times sometimes. I, I believe we started protesting the Vietnam War the year after it ended. You know, <laughs> this is Potsdam in particular. <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. You we know, part of that protest. And I was busy trying to ace my thermodynamics, to be honest. <laughs> busy, busy with that. Because I, I didn't want to take thermodynamics, so I didn't buy the book. And as a result, I had to go to the library. It was my minor protest. So I had to go to the library before exams to, to um, pull an all-nighter and memorize everything. So I could go in and ace the exam. So what was, like, the... I was a student. <laughs> yeah, so what was, like, the, the student games as such you know um, american stereotypes we often think of hockey ice oh, hockey oh i was thinking like beer pong <laughs> oh, oh we played beer pong we played beer pong uh ping pong was a particularly great sport among graduate students P ping pong or beer ping pong? pong and beer pong ah uh, did you play beer pong no no um i was more of a whiskey drinker because i had graduated to whiskey by the time i started uni there's a there's a, a scale well, you, you graduate out, you know when you're four or five liking beer because it's a fizzy drink you know an American beer when you're are, four or five well you see where we lived we had a lot of land and we had a big barn so you could have barn dances in it and but also it was a 
brilliant location for beer blasts. Now, a beer blast is... I was about to ask. <laughs> well, this is what, in my day, college students used to do. They'd go onto a large piece of property. Everybody would come out to that large piece of property, and they'd have a bunch of kegs and whatnot, and you'd have a blast drinking beer. Oh, so it's quite literal, just... It's uh, literally a beer blast. <laughs> and no explosions, I'm kind of No, no explosions were necessary. That's very Now, the thing to remember is, compared to Irish and Canadian beer, American beer is not as high alcohol content. So if you were from Ireland or Canada, it'd be drinking watered-down beer. So it took considerably more to get looped back in the day and that wasn't really the goal of a college student the goal was just to have fun you know you might have a few live bands playing and you'd be having it's kind of like a picnic you'd, you'd have a barbecue and you'd have just have a good time it would be like a music festival without any big name bands and lots of free, free beer you know yeah, that sounds great it was a lot of fun yeah and um, I don't really recall, I mean, some people would get looped on an Irish scale, but really, most people just had a good time. You know, it was really kind of more subdued and under controlled compared to what you'd do if you were in Ireland. Did you have any, like, college anthems? When I think of, like, when I was in college or when I was in school, there's specific years where specific songs just, like, dominated. Like, it was just always played at a party and it was just the, the anthem of the year. Was there any, like bangers that would come on that's terrible i'm really bad but i don't actually recall any no i i know that it's the 70s man i mean i even when i was a physics major i even worked in the radio station <laughs> you know for a bit for the crack like you know uh i remember interviewing the oh actually no this is when you I was told a, me billy joel went to your billy class. joel played in the ratskeller which was like a student union uh sort of it was a small environment and this was before he was really big time famous and he was awesome that's cool you know we had uh i think the stones came i think you remember who, that you would think <laughs> uh the who uh, the who that's massive i you know these were the back and uh, my favorite band of the day was the band uh, Were they called the band? Or, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I haven't heard of them. I have a, I have an LP by them in this house. I also really liked. There was a group called Heart, which I really liked because they were predominantly female. And back in the day, you didn't hear too many females playing guitar as lead guitarist, and they were awesome. I really liked Heart. And there was another group, uh, Jefferson Airplane. Oh yeah, they're still they uh, yeah. were brilliant. They then I think turned into Jefferson Starship, evolved into that. Uh, Gracie Slick I think was their lead singer, and she was amazing. You know, so we had. We we enjoyed music, but everybody was we were more eclectic. Like our radio stations that the colleges put on had this policy that within a seventy-two hour period you couldn't play the same song, twice. So you didn't dominate with any one song. You heard an eclectic mix. So everybody got a chance and you got to enjoy a lot of people. So there's no, there's no song that you hated because it was always on the radio? Cause... No, I didn't actually have to suffer that. That's good. It is very good. They called them progressive radio stations. 
and the college uh, stations tended to run these progressive radio stations. I think if I had probably listened to WPDM, you know, which was our local AM station, I probably would have been dominated by one particular song or another, but I didn't. So there's no... Okay, that's interesting. And so you said that you didn't really feel like you personally faced discrimination that much for being a woman until after college. So was that kind of a bit of a shock to you? Because you had done college... Not really. I expected it. You expected it, I, yeah. I, I'm not stupid. You know, I mean, I expected it. Um, I didn't, I just, you just get on with it. I mean, the first time I really experienced it was in your latter years of college, a lot of college students can get work on construction sites, for example. The civil engineers would get work as, you know, student engineers, and I couldn't get those because I was a girl. Who's going to hire a girl? I did work privately and ran jobs on houses where I would run the job because I knew more in spite of the fact that my client wanted my brother to run it, but my younger brother didn't know as much about these things as I did. And, you know, it's no offense, Rob. He's now got a PhD and he's brilliant. But back Where's in the your day, PhD? Yeah, I'm, Where's not, your... I'm not as educated. You know, but I'm... Uh, you're, you're smart. It's not about I mean, education. I had more <laughs> practical skills because I had actually had a lot of experience in building around the house or in fixing this, that, or the other thing, or, you know. So I did a good job, and I'm neat. And that's the difference between being good on a construction site and being... You have to be neat. You also have to recognize talent and coattail on it or find somebody that respects your intellectual ability and they coattail on you. And I was lucky in work. I did find somebody who had a lot of practical experience, but he didn't have what I'd call the book learning that I had. He didn't have the um, heavy-duty engineering university education that I had. He got his ability through working his way up on site. So we made a good team that way because I could crunch the numbers. And he could teach me the practical things that you just can't learn in books. You have to learn through experience. So I did eventually get my PE, which in the States is known as your professional engineer. Uh, it's a license that each state has. And the equivalent over here in Europe, which I also got, is your chartered engineering status, which is a similar thing. You can't get that straight out of university. You have to have some practical experience because the two marry up. So that's the boring stuff. No, it's not. It's, it's interesting. Um, so what was, what would you say is the, like the worst discrimination you got as a female engineer? Like the worst story, if there is one or... When I was on construction sites, there, you know, you would think I would have gotten it from the less educated, what we would call the crafts or the trades. But I understood their mentality and their education levels. And rather than pulling the I'm more educated than you, so I'm better than you attitude, I used to use their psychology, basically. I'd say, well, you have more experience than I do. You know this side inside out. What would you recommend? And I'll do the numbers and see if it works. And that approach was basically an approach of respect. And because 
that was different to what they got from most of the male engineers, I got respect back Be and had a very good... But so the worst case of discrimination I would have felt would have been in the design office from other engineers. Uh, you know, like, eh, she only got that award or she's only here as a token female because they were just bringing in positive discrimination, which is a thing I'm actually against. Because, and I, ex I did experience that when I was a physics major, actually, um, because I went to a university that, you know, was quite elite. You know, Michael Douglas went there and, you know, uh, some of the famous solicitors. St. Lawrence. Yeah, in upstate New York. It was a fairly posh, semi-Ivy League kind of place. And they would offer scholarships to underprivileged people, of which I fit into the category as a local yokel. <laughs> and I had uh, my best friend was from Brooklyn, New York. She fit into the category as poor Afro American from Brooklyn, you know, God love her. So most of us, I think I would have been the only local yokel. And then all these um, black Americans who were every bit as smart, and they, we were discriminated against in the sense that you kind of got this. Ah, God love them. They wouldn't have been able to make it if we didn't get a handout. They're exempt from having to do English and a second language and, you know, the maths requirements. Mm. And so I hung out a lot with them when I was a physics major because we kind of had a slight chip on our shoulder. We were delighted to be there because we wouldn't have had that free university education without it. But on the other hand, we recognized that we weren't in their league. You know, there was a definite unspoken class distinction that you felt, mm. but you couldn't articulate because America's supposed to be a classless society, but money <laughs> states it all. And yeah, I, that. And then the second time I felt that was when I was working for Vectal Power Corporation. And I, I can still picture your man behind me. I mean, generally got on all right, but... And this was in America, back in In, in yeah. America, back in 1970... Uh, uh, 70, 70 something. 70, 78, I think. Somewhere around that. 77, 78. Uh, and, you know, his, uh, she's only here because she's, you know, a girl. And that made you sort of feel that you had to work harder than everyone else. But what they didn't realize was... He'd been out of school a little bit longer than I did. And in, in, in the technical fields, and particularly in engineering, if you don't move from number crunching, as I call it, from the actual design aspect of things yeah. to management within eight years, uh, you're actually behind the times. Because technology moves so quick. Moves that quickly. Yeah. And it's even quicker now. Uh, I mean, things. We were contemplating VoIP. We were contemplating the idea of mobile phones and video calls in graduate level when I was in university. These were ideas. And the idea of the first handheld calculator was they were being designed at the time. And I, I would have had one of the first ones in, you know, good HP or Texas Instruments that could actually do functions on them that were more than just doing your basic addition and multiplication. When I started engineering, I had a slide rule. 
which I still have. You still have your college life. Why did you bring that all the way from America? Because <laughs> it's to remind you that, you you know, anything could happen. Look at this pandemic. You think you have all the answers. Anything could happen. So you always need to be prepared to make a best guesstimate. So we all need a slide row. Is well, what you're recommending. You, you need that principle. And I didn't <laughs> want to forget that when you do a calculation in your head, you don't have to have necessarily the exact numbers, mm -hmm. but you should have a ballpark figure in your head about, you know, where the decimal point should go, if you know what I mean. You know, is and that kind of reminds you, you can get the exact number on a slide rule, but you need to know where the, where the decimal point should go. And that helps you to sort of get a good guesstimate, which means that if you're designing something in the field, for example, you can sort of do a basic semi-number crunch in your head. You won't know the exacts or which side of a fine line it might fit, but you've got a pretty good idea. And then when you number crunch, you confirm that, and then you get somebody to check that, because, you know, if things fall down, somebody could die, and that's not fun. That's not fun, no. No, it's, and somebody did die because somebody did get it wrong. Uh, one of the sites I was on. You wouldn't want that weighing over your head. You would not. So you, that's why a basic principle is, I might do a number crunch, but then I pass it on to somebody who checks my work. Because let's face it, I went into engineering and not accounting or statistics in part because I'm really crap at arithmetic. I've never liked arithmetic. I don't like multiplication and adding, you know. So calculator is amazing. Yes, yeah, does that for me. You know, and I don't like, um, you know, whereas I do like the imaginative thing. I like imaginary numbers, which you need in electrical engineering. I like A plus B is always equal to C, providing C is correct. I like that. I can make my own parameters. I like that aspect about algebra and about generic equations. I like fill-in-the-blanks equations, which is partly what's behind the stupid book I wrote, you know, so I could go away and play. Yeah, talk about the, the book you wrote, because I don't think people listening are going to know what's the, what's the stupid book you wrote. It's not stupid at all. <laughs> well, it's outdated now. But this doesn't make it... When I, when I w was working for Bechtel Power Corporation, I was working, uh, we, we, we were part of a consortium of various companies working together to come up with uh, an ANSYS program, a finite element analysis program that would analyze whether something's in a static condition or a dynamic or moving condition. And static condition would be like Newtonian physics where everything is quite simple and, and you know, easy to imagine and easy to calculate. You know, you can do it in high school physics. Oh, sure. You could. I Trust could I? me. You, anybody that's taken high school physics I did could not easily take do it. High school you physics. You did not take it, but if you had, you could have done it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not that hard, you know. I mean, you it's like that. It's like imagining, a uh, oh, perfect way to imagine it is a teeter-totter. You put a heavy kid on one end and a light kid on the other See, end. See, I didn't even know what a teeter-totter is. Seesaw. Uh, seesaw. There you go. And and one goes up and one goes down. You can kind of imagine that it's it's going to be pretty constant. Anybody without any mm, education okay. can predict the motion of that. Up goes down and down goes but up. But say that seesaw were made out of a very flimsy material. Mm, like paper. Yeah. 
theoretically, this is what I love about physics, it can be theoretical, <laughs> you know, like paper, it would be wobbly. You might have, as those kids are going up and down, suddenly the behavior isn't just straightforward, stiff yeah, going up and down. Yeah, I can visualize it. It yeah, could, it could uh, operate in a wave pattern. So in order to figure out how those waves would travel along that flimsy piece of paper, if you will, you'd need to analyze point by point, and you have to take time and travel into consideration. You have to take the motions in the different directions into consideration. That would be, so that point by point stuff is called finite elements back in the day. Now, when I was in university, that was graduate level studies. People would study that on a graduate level. By the time I left university, that was entering into undergraduate level for the senior levels. So when I entered the workforce, I would have had a basic understanding uh, to somewhat because of all the buddies I hung out with in the graduate level of how the purpose of finite element analysis. And my classmates would have been getting their MAs to understand that. And when I was working on a job site, we were, this was shortly after Three Mile Island where there was a nuclear power plant and there had been an accident and part of it dealt with the fact that some of the uh, pipes carrying radioactive materials behaved in a dynamic fashion and failed and hence you had a leak. You know, the plant did what it was supposed to do and it did shut down, but then people wanted to find out what about other plants? So mm. we would, there was a program where we would go around to all these plants and do these analyses. That's a good thing. I it's think. a good thing. But one of the plants that I was working on at the time. So what happened then is after that, then we would take that to everyone. This happened to be a coal-fired plant. But we wanted to have these dynamic behaviors because if you've got something hooked up to a machine and the machine shakes, then the pipes connected to that machine will also shake dynamic. So that shaking will introduce new forces to its supports on the ceiling. And if you're carrying acidic material or whatnot, you don't want that stuff falling all over people or you don't want the... So just because something's tightly screwed to the wall, that could actually be a very bad thing mm. because it's not free to move. So you build up stresses and the thing falls. So we would go through a lot of these old plants and a lot of these new plants and we would analyze whether something was in a dynamic situation or a static situation. And the book I wrote, was so I could go off and play basically and it's the start of how I ended up in Ireland but that's another story so <laughs> the book I wrote was called finite element justification of bolt bolt plate um what did I call them bolt bolt plate know. connections that was <laughs> sorry I forget a lot of stuff and um, basically what I did was rather than writing long synopsis of things I wanted to write something that because I needed somebody to check my work because my work was kind of, at that time, fairly leading edge. Mm. So there wasn't a lot of engineers free who were able to do all the calculations and start from scratch and do the analysis. So what I wanted to do was, rather than having a lot of verbiage like I'm giving you now, I wanted to have a picture book. D dumb it down. Make no, make it useful. Straightforward. That's a different thing than dumbing down. So okay. what I did is, ANSYS have produced a lot of graphs and a lot of pictures showing where the thickness of a plate that you would have bolted to a wall, and also you'd have um, struts welded onto the plate, so you'd have mm -hmm. what you call a configuration, what it looks like if you were to look down on it. 
and depending on the size of the various different A plus B plus C kind of dimensions. So what you do out in the field is you draw a picture of it and you'd fill in the dimensions. Then you'd go back and you'd look through my book and you'd see the pictures of what looked like what you saw out there and you fill in the blanks and out. there'd be a, like a line on this thing and if you fit on the graph above the line you knew you had a finite element condition and if you fit on the graph below the line you knew you had a static configuration and now you have two different equations on each of those and so you just filled in the blanks on the equations and came up with your answer it was very basic I mean, and then you could see if it was safe or not well no it was taking what somebody else had developed so I didn't invent anything new what I did was presented something so and then I tested it on my secretary who was 18 years of age and just had graduated and I sent her out for the crack you know with hard hat and just all that. just sent her off to I test test nuclear no, safety no this, big well, this was a coal fire plant. no I sent her out to look at a support and see if she could come up with the correct answer and she did and this is a girl that you know I'm not sure if she had her high school diploma yet or not, but she, she, you know, she was smart enough. But she just had a high school or a secondary level education. And she filled in the blanks, got the answer perfectly, and I knew it was in safe hands. That, because I had generated a lot of uh, struts and supports, but I couldn't go away and play unless somebody else checked my work and made sure it was right. So that's, that was the other reason why I did it. You know, so it was just a, a flip through thing. But don't like undersell yourself. Like that's well, it belongs to Bechtel Power Corporation. I gave it to them. Now, since then, string theory and shell theory have replaced those, and those are things that I've never studied. But I know they're beyond the beyond, and I'm obsolete. But the thing <laughs> is, the person that reaches a certain level needs to move into management because they need to recognize who comes out of university, mm. who is at the leading edge, whose work they can trust, and who can do the right thing so from experience you know how to guide these people and you can add certain other things like that's impractical we don't have that kind of stuff on site you know or you know that would take forever i know it's ideally numerically perfect but it's impractical in reality so that's that yeah <laughs> that's my engineering expertise it's it's all obsolete now sorry it's, yeah but i mean it's not obsolete in terms of the training and well, the life yeah. experience. The thinking carries on. Yes. As yes. you may have noticed. You definitely have and always will have an engineering brain. So, like, a bit of a caveat here. Is that the right term? But, like, I recall this story that you told me a couple of years ago. So, I don't quite remember it. But was there something about, like, them thinking you'd kidnapped the mayor's daughter? You did get that kind of mixed up one time <laughs> what was it then after no it was a bank manager's wife and son a bank manager's wife and i didn't no i know you didn't just say i thought it, like in my head it was like no mm. what happened was after i the fbi was there though or CIA. they did well a bunch of people and they if you ever watched men in black you know or or american comedy type things where the FBI come in and they're all not yeah they're like that you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, American FBI people scary and weird very scary saying. and weird no what happened was um, my brother and his best friend who was our only neighbor 
<laughs> Makes it easy to make friends. And, and, and his best friend in the family at the time, you know, which would have been me because I was the nearest, in, we were 13 months apart. You know, I was 13 months younger than my eldest brother and 13 months older than my younger brother. You don't have a lot of options. Well, and, and then his best friend was about his age, you know, and so we decided we wanted to go. My my younger brother was certified in scuba diving, and he wanted myself and Paul to be certified in scuba diving as well. Absolutely. So he would always have somebody to play with, because you should have a buddy system when you go scuba diving. So okay. we decided to go down to the Keys in Florida and take this course. We were going to camp out, take this course, and Paul and I were going to become certified scuba divers, which we did, you know, and while we were there, you know, we had a 1955 Willys Jeep, I remember that, you know, we used to heat tins of spaghetti on the engine, because the engine would get really hot, you just put your tin on, we were lazy, you just put your tin on that, and the heat from the engine would heat up your spaghetti, boom, there you are, but uh, we uh, did get certified, and then we had met this guy who we thought was a slob like ourselves, you know, he was living on a houseboat and he kind of looked a bit like a slob, you know, and, but he was good entertainment and great pool, snooker player. And he used to take us around the local bars and we'd play pool and have a great time. And then he said, well, you know, it's time for me to go back. So listen, why don't you stop by at my house in Flor Lauderdale um, for a civilized night, I'll take you out. Uh, to dinner and civilized night. before before you head on back up to New York so we did now we, we arrived he took us out we had a great dinner and all that and we were spending the night we were due to have a nice dinner the next day but he, he says now I have to go to work now because it was a, you know a weekday I says I have to go to work now but I'm finished at uh, such and such a time and my son is moving house today so you'll see, meet my son, I think his name was David. So how, how old were all of you? Well, I would have been, I think, 19, because my brother just turned 18. And I think Paul was 18 as well. I might have been 17. We were, you know, 18. We were 18 and 19. The eldest one of us was 19. That was me, you know. Um, so, and we were from upstate New York where we were still protesting the Vietnam War, which was over for ages, you know, but so we, we traveled down, we were sleeping in this Willie's Jeep and, and uh, of course we were just kids from the country, you know, but as a strange set of coincidences would have it, um, his name was Fred. I won't give you any more than that. But Fred was a lovely guy anyway. His wife... Fred redacted. <laughs> Fred was a lovely guy. But as it turned out, Fred's wife was from upstate New York, from the St. Lawrence County region. Now, you can tell by the license tags on the car, mm. more or less where they're from. Obviously, we had New York State ones. But even more precise, we had St. Lawrence County license tags on our, on our Jeep. So that, that's just one odd, it's just an odd coincidence. That's just the way things pan out. And as it turned out, his son was moving house, you know, I think he was 22, you know, grown up lad moving into his first house, you know, moving everything out. God, that moving day, into your first house at 22, what a alien. It's America, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so he, he was moving at the same time. Now, also, you got to remember, we're talking the 70s here. 
you know? where there was affordable housing. <laughs> well, also, you know, it's just right after Woodstock era and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and uh, so, as it turned out, we shall call him David. Um, he had a token joke joint, a token toke in the house before he left. But before he did that, you know, he, he rolled one and shared one around with us kids from the North Country. Ooh, doing bad things. <laughs> We're choking a joint. Ooh, illegal. Well, we all know that weed is so dangerous. Oh, it's... you become father rapers. <laughs> Granny killers. <laughs> if you've never seen Reefer Madness, do see it. It's a good laugh. But anyway... That aside, never lie to people about drugs either because reefer madness is an example of what happens if you do. They won't believe you when you tell them the truth about other more dangerous drugs. So anyhow, and always go organic, kids. But <laughs> So we'd never had, you know, we didn't have any of this. I mean, you were from like a small town. And upstairs. if your host's son is going to roll a joint, it'd be rude. for you. To <laughs> it'd be rude not to. It would be rude not to. So we had no more than a toke between all of us off of the one joint. And we were kids. We're not used to this sort of thing. So we're like, ooh. And off, off he goes with his stuff off. And we're kind of just a little bit high, giddy as kids would be at the time. And suddenly there's a knock on the door, you know. <laughs> we got some acoustic effects. <laughs> <laughs> My brother goes to the door. And he, you know, he opens a little bit and there's a gun. Pointing at him in the face. That's a bit excessive. And, yeah. It's a bit excessive. Well, we thought so. He thought so. He closes the door, you know, and, and the voice on the other side goes, these things go through doors. So, you know, what you're going to do? Open. Meanwhile, they're kind of like flies and cockroaches. Did you know that CIA and FBI guys and special forces or whatever, they, whoever they are, they can actually get in through cracks in your windowsill. I swear to goodness they can. Are you sure that wasn't just the weed, Mom? <laughs> well, it felt like it. Because suddenly we're surrounded by ten guys with, you know, with guns pointing at us and all that. It's not and what you want. Not when, and, and you got to imagine, we, we were all somewhat imaginative anyway. Because what else do you do when you're in the middle of nowhere growing up? You, you invent your own games and you do invent your own stories and stuff like that. But... As it turned out, you know, we thought, oh, this kid's a drug, those are the drug dealers coming after him, you know? They probably want drug money and we don't have anything. This is what's going through our mind. Oh, yeah, it was, you know? As it would. And of course, my natural instinct, I don't like guns being pointed at me. My I don't think anyone likes guns being pointed at me. No, but I have to, this, it's, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I have a tendency to want to throw up. When people point guns at me. I mean, I think a lot of people, particularly in Ireland, have never had a genuine gun pointed at them. It sucks. And it's, yeah, it sounds real intense. You, I, you do want to throw up. I get ner I get so nervous seeing guns when I'm traveling. I hate them. I, I tried to overcome the fear because, you know, as an American, you're supposed to like guns, but I hate them. <laughs> there's a lot of Americans that don't like guns. There's, I don't mind BB guns. They're a different thing because they're just for fun. Or, you know, paint, or paint guns. Uh, yeah. No, I really don't like guns really at all. I think they're a sad invention. But, you know, I mean, I really don't see the point it's in them. Its sole purpose is death. I mean, Yeah, and I'm invention. really anti-death. Yeah, It's not my too. favorite thing. But anyway, they separate us. And then... 
Then they identify who they are. All this time, because they looked like gangsters and they looked like hoods, and they looked like something out of Shaft. Oh, you just have scary people coming in. With we guns. were petrified. We thought they were drug dealers. And then they separate us and, you know, this is, I'm sorry, Rob and Paul, I really apologize for this. But when they said to me, if those two guys were up to something, you'd tell us about it, wouldn't you? I said, sure would, never like to look so much anyway. You threw your own brother under the bus. I am so ashamed of that. I still feel bad. And I hope... That I have grown from that experience and that I would never do anything like that again. I, I, You'd never throw me under the bus for the cops? No, I would take a bullet for you. Oh, bless. You're a kid. I've already lived my life. You've got years ahead of you. I, I really am ashamed, very ashamed of that. And should I have to take a bullet for the Lord and save his people, I would not do that again. Uh, it's, it's not worth it. And the shame you feel. For the rest of your life is not worth it. It's a moment of panic as It doesn't well. matter. Your loyalty to family should be much stronger than that. And I felt really bad about that till Rob confessed he did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I would also say that these people, like FBI agents, they're trained to do that. They're specifically mm. trained to psychologically get you to do stuff like that. So I would not feel guilty, particularly because well, you did the same thing. they didn't thing. have to push very hard, you know. They wanted me to talk at first, and they go, pointing to the gun, you know. Gun, you know. Yeah, trying not to, and, and then it's like, sorry, it just has that detrimental effect. But it wasn't until we got, oh, then they'd take us to the police station. By then, as soon as we knew that they were police and they FBI. weren't violent gun as soon as we they knew they guns. weren't violent drug dealers <laughs> we knew there was at least going to be some protocol and we knew that you know they were charging us with everything except the one really bad so thing we did which was smoking dope that was the only they did they just disregarded that entirely because compared to kidnapping Apparently what had happened... Okay, yeah, why do they think they you kidnapped someone? In America at that time, there was a lot of bank presidents being kidnapped for money by yabos. Or ransom. Help, or their families would be held for ransom. So what they did to get out of that, they abolished the position of vice uh, of president. And everybody became who would have been a president were now called vice president of a bank. And that obviously didn't work in Fred's case... Because Fred was a vice president, but really it was the president, right? And um, he tried to tell them that we were good guys, but they wouldn't believe him because they felt the victim's always wrong. Somebody had rung Fred up and said, I've got your wife and son, and if you don't give a million dollars, we're going to, you're never going to see them again. And this is the stupid thing. They hung up. They never told Fred where to... They never told him what to do. They were about to hang up. Fred goes, where do you want me to put it? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, they gave them elaborate instructions of some bin to put it somewhere in Fort Lousy Liquordale. And in the meantime... Were they actually kidnapped, though? No, this is the thing. In the meantime, Fred knew... That his wife was in upstate New York, where our license plates on our car from. FBI uh. thought that was too much of a coincidence. Fred's son wasn't in the house. 
oop, another coincidence, you know. Ergo, ipso, it must be these three knuckleheads from upstate New York who kidnapped them. This dire crime, you know. And we're sitting there thinking, and my brother and Paul have this great imagination. They're sitting there. We're not allowed to be within whispering distance. Yeah. So we're separated. And of course, we're kids. This is our first experience in in, in the police thing. And we know we're innocent because we know they're not charging us for any. And Rob and Paul are sitting there pretending that they've got invisible cords trying to do the Houdini, trying to get off the chair they're sitting on, pretending they're locked. I'm cracking up. And then meantime, I'm pestering my guy with, can I have a mugshot? Can I see what a mugshot? Will you take a mugshot? I would love a mugshot. That's what I thought. Did you get it? I did, but I was really disappointed because it was in color. And there wasn't any numbers on it. Where are the numbers? Where is the mugshot? It's in color. Oh, it's probably in in a photo album somewhere. I want that. It just looks like an ordinary photograph. It's disgusting. There's no... You know, it's not I, like the movies, guys. The mugshots are not like the movies. It was not, you know. Anyhow, Fred kept trying to tell them that we wouldn't. A, we weren't smart enough to do anything like that, and B, we wouldn't. You know, it, you know. It, it, he knew where his wife was. In the meantime, you know, finally the police kind of realized, and actually they decided this is the really hard part. They decided we weren't smart enough to pull off anything like that. Let's go. And Fred Fred picked us up at the police station. Is that why you went into to engineering? Because you want to prove those no, police care. officers. We are smart enough to pull off. I wanted to prove something to my own dad, and I had a free scholarship, and it was easy. They sent, I'm joking. They, they, no, Fred, Fred picked us up at the police station, yeah. apologized profusely, Took us out to a real bang-up posh dinner afterwards. I would, I would be like, man, that was terrifying for me. That's at least it the was. equivalent of four posh dinners. You uh, know? Well, he'd been nice to us all along. Ah, uh, no, still. We had a hot shower no. in his house. Still, no, still. I have nothing whatsoever. Fred, You're I love you smart. to bet, to bits. So not only did Fred rescue us at that time, you know. But he didn't uh, rescue. Wait, he did a second time. Okay. You know, Fred has earned his stripes. May he, God bless Fred. He was a great guy. But um, we got back and Paul's mom was furious because, and this is true, they barged into the house with a gun pointed and all that and didn't identify who they were. They expected us to open a door to a total stranger with a gun in his hands with no ID. Not once did they identify. Defund the police. Until after, until after we were corralled in the sitting room at gunpoint. And they should have identified themselves just so we'd know. Because we all thought they were dangerous drug dealers. What if we'd had a gun as an American and shot them in self-defense? We'd have been blown away. She was furious, and she was right. Mm. She was furious. But I'll tell you two other ways that Fred rescued us. Another time, a long, you know, a while after that, I was having another adventure, and I got shipwrecked and all that, and then we got rescued. And that's, that's very, we got, very Yeah, I'm not going to go into this. We'll get into but, it. Shipwrecked, rescue, no, Keith we, Emerson, rock but, star. But so. the rock star that rescued us gave us flights to Florida, and Fred picked us up in nice. Florida. And looked after us until we got another flight which fred gave us 
to New York City. And so Fred also went above and beyond the call of duty to okay, rescue us. Kind of owed it to you. I'm sorry, but I mean. So, I mean, Fred, no, Fred was a no, good guy. Fred, I'm not saying Fred's not a good guy, but I'm saying, you no, know, the least he could do for psychologically scarring you. He didn't psychologically scar I was part of the reason you were psychologically scarred. It wasn't his fault that his wife was visiting relatives and upset. No, it was the FBI so, so and these the people police. Are... It was the police and the FBI that did a very stupid thing. Wait, I have a question. So did they just assume that there was held ransom without checking that his wife and kid had actually been kidnapped? It appears so. What? <laughs> <laughs> that, like you think that would be the first you the would first think thing. they would try to contact the wife but you got to remember no this cell is back exactly no cell phones no wi-fi no instant internet i mean at but that, you landlines at that stage you landlines yeah do they always work is somebody always got one Did when they're they... in the cabin in the middle of nowhere in the adirondack mountains no i mean if she was home if she was visiting a relative in the camp in the adirondack mountains which a lot of people did a lot of people have summer homes in the adirondacks and they don't have phones mm -hmm. in there they're you know it could be that they couldn't contact them do you think that happened a lot do you think there was a lot of people just saying that they had kidnapped someone back no then? there were a lot of genuine kidnaps no, it I got to be serious so they had to do that no i knew there were a lot of genuine obviously there's a lot of genuine kidnaps but I'm thinking, is there a lot of fake? Because if that was a fake one, I'm wondering that also must have been just it as probably common. Just what was wrong and dangerous was, uh, obviously you can enter a home if there's probable cause, which yeah. a missing wife and son would be probable cause. How were they to know where Fred's son was at that particular moment? Yeah, because you can't check. They questioned us and we had no idea. We actually, at first when they questioned us, before we knew who they were, we thought they were looking for Fred's son to kill him because of all the guns. So you weren't going to give information if you thought they were going to try and kill him? Well, as long as they didn't kill us, you know. I mean, like, we had no idea. We you're, had absolutely no idea. So if we if we could have snitched, we probably would have because we're idiots. We're just kids. We had no idea. I mean, what, like, affinity did you have to this person? Well, he gave us our first hit off a toke. Oh, yeah, but in the... <laughs> Is that a, does that give your life worthy over? I think not. No, but it's one of life's experience back in the 70s you're expected to have. This is before I went to engineering college. You this know, is before I mean, college. This is before I became an engineer. This is, you know... It, 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 is weed a big thing amongst engineers? It's a big thing among everybody back in, in the, the day. In the 70s, I had a yeah. friend who wanted to get FBI clearance. She actually had been working on um, video phone technology before mobile phones were invented. That's crazy. Back then, and she, she was a graduate student at the time. Anyway, she wanted to work for the FBI. She, I think, got into the FBI. Good she was her. also a hockey player. We were part of the first women's hockey team. Sounds and awesome. She was a very good hockey player. Ice hockey people, not this... Not Camogie. <laughs> but she, she, uh, she was smart. She filled out her FBI clearance thing with the two. Have you ever toked weed? And she writes, yes. If you back then wrote no, the FBI would have automatically excluded you because they would have known it was a lie. Yeah. You know, I you mean, don't lie. you don't lie when you want to, because if you're willing to lie about something small and smoking weed when you're on a university campus was kind of different because university campuses had their own campus police. Mm -hmm. So the those kind of misdemeanor laws were within their purview. 
So you would never get a record. So it was kind of like not, it, it, was, it wasn't something you'd know, but it was something everybody did, you know. But it wasn't something that people did to excess. It didn't, it was before they started lacing crack and Agent Orange into stuff and all that. And, you know, making. I don't think they're lacing crack and Agent Orange into Who knows now. what they're in? You don't know what. I never heard of anybody being addicted to dope until recently, until, you know, I grew up. And yeah, I'll grow that kind of nonsense. <laughs> You know, because you have enough experience and funny things happen in life and you can be an idiot without drink and without drugs. And I never wanted to do anything to the point where I might wreck my genetics and not have a perfect child like you. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and look how wonderful you are. You're beautiful. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. I wouldn't say perfect. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. But Bodie's perfect. Yeah. Well, at least you're not as wrecked as you could be. Mm-hmm. If I'd have done stupid things. If you were... Or stupider things. Addicted <laughs> to drugs, you mean? I, yeah. Or as a crack baby. I didn't want to take that risk, you know. I, I, It just wasn't worth the risk. I always knew I'd have three wonderful children, and they'd all be the same sex, and so they were and are. And I knew they'd all be different. And Shout so, out to my sisters, Ashley and Roshi. <laughs> Hi, guys. awesome. Each one unique, and each one a special flower. And then you, through a series of events, ended up in, in Ireland. So we've already been chatting for a while. But I was just wondering, like, obviously there, there wasn't a lot of outsiders moving into Ireland in the early 80s. No. So you would have been coming from an interesting perspective, being able to to notice head on what's weird or what's, what's interesting. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so I, <laughs> I'm just wondering just... What was your experience coming to Ireland in the 80s? Especially in comparison, because I know you got a lot of, there's a lot of issues with people not wanting to hire you as a female engineer in, in Ireland. It uh, was worse in Ireland that's what than I was gonna it was say. in America. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely harder. Um, but that said, there was also some good companies here. But some that definitely, I know being a female was a detriment to some extent. To other extent, you could get away with some things. Partly because of my American accent, and even though I've lived in Ireland longer than I've lived in the States, uh, because I was old and I moved here, I still have this accent. But that accent allowed me to get away with things that I think an Irish woman in the same situation couldn't have. They expected Americans to be a little bit different and weird, so it was okay to have a female American engineer, you know. But yeah. I think it would have been harder for an Irish woman, believe it or not. No, that makes sense. It was sense. also a very small world. It's what you'd expect, but it's no less intellectual. And I think that the other thing I was very aware of when I first came here was that I think they had this idea back in the early 80s that because America had Yale and Cornell and MIT and Clarkson and all those big name universities, you know, that... Everybody was from that kind of area. Everybody had that kind of background. Everybody had that kind of education. That just isn't true. It's still kind of like that now. When people think America in Ireland, they think New York and L.A. Yeah. But I don't think they think intellectually elite in the same way because the world is smaller from mm. a com communications point of view. And I think that Irish people, because of more of an integration, can hold their own now and they know they can hold their own. Yeah. Whereas I think there was a self-confidence issue back in the early 80s. 
and that was very I could feel that like people would ask me all the time was what do you think of Ireland what do you think of Ireland and you just would, like I'm doing now it, what do you it, think it, of Ireland <laughs> yeah but they would ask it like you sort of got the validate us they'd validate almost, us yeah, yeah well no you get this opinion they'd almost cry if you said anything but it's lovely you know and I always said that for three years I lied through my teeth what do you think of Ireland it's lovely and you pasted on grin on the old face when in reality bottled up everything because I would be the butt of everything would be compared to America, but in a, in a degree of ignorance. We don't want to be like America, having pollution all over. And I, as a civil engineer, and coming from, but you don't even have any environmental engineers in this country, and the six that graduated are working in Germany, and you don't want to be like America. There's no scrubbers in your factory chimneys, and you don't want. You're doing the same stuff we did in the '60s in America, yeah. you know. But you couldn't say this. You know, I mean, it's the exact same thing that's happening now in regards to race. Everyone's talking, like, oh, we don't want to be like America. But you are. To, but we are. Humans are humans and idiots are idiots. And minorities and strange things are treated with the same suspicion. Whatever that difference is, it's treated the same way, no matter where they are. It could be, like, I remember when we were in the Caribbean and you were, you know, five, four, you were. And you went to a play school. And you were the only white girl in the class. And you loved all the kids and all that. But I remember you coming home to me one day crying because, why am I so white? I and I would have to put your hair in cornrows, you know. You're lucky you at least got curly hair. But y you would be, you know, and that's natural. They weren't, they were lovely to you, but you were different. You notice a difference. It doesn't matter how... It doesn't matter what the yeah. difference is. It's always noticed. And the character of the individual who possesses the difference and the character of the people who are receiving that individual are shown by the integration of that difference. And Ireland was no different when we started having refugees come in. You know, I noticed... The more educated you were, the more of an idea you'd have of the wider world and you'd be more inclined to be a little bit more fair, but you, you still had to fight your inner aversion to strangeness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about an integrated society. I mean, I have interracial marriages within my own family and who knows what happened in the past, but we don't notice those things anymore when you love somebody. You know, and when you get to know them, you realize people are people are people. That is interesting, though, what you're saying, because obviously Ireland, in a lot of ways, is just a few years or a couple of decades behind what's happening in America. Generation. So, generation. So you would have been in America at a time of real change in the 70s in regards to to race and feminism. And then you had to, to come to Ireland and see the same patterns repeat itself that you saw years ago. Here it is again. That must have been frustrating. So what? So where are we now then? In <laughs> well, I mean, I in think comparison, I think it's gone quicker. And just before we we finish up, do you what's your like favorite story? Do you have a favorite story that you like to tell people? If someone's like, what's your best story? Your favorite thing, favorite story that you like to tell that you think of? Hmm. Just. Let's see. Cool thing. Could it be the time we draw a line from Belize to <laughs> Tikal, uh, hoping it was a real road, took it, and it 
wasn't a real road, but we got there anyway. Could it be the time <laughs> that we had machine guns pointed at us crossing over from Honduras into Nicaragua? Uh, I mean, she traveled a lot about gorillas in Central America thinking they were only in uh, Africa. Or could it be the time that my friend got frostbit on her feet while we were on a glacier looking for a place to sunbathe? When were you on a glacier? Oh, I went on uh, camping on a glacier. Yeah. Not one of the smarter things I've done. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of fun. Or could it be the time that my husband got arrested for rape on our honeymoon? What? <laughs> or could it be the time that can you just more explain it? I think maybe my there's dad, too many to tell. There's too many, but I kind of want to hone in the whole uh, my my father getting arrested for for rape on your honeymoon. Well, I, I needless to say, he's innocent, and that's another story. And we've spent enough time on this. Podcast. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and we're gonna end it there. Do you have anything you want to plug? I guess or. Any... I would like to plug Scream for Ireland. Oh, you're plugging me. Absurd real history. I would this like This podcast to... you're listening to right now. Keep listening I would to like it. to plug plug the one thing that has kept me alive through all kinds of mad situations and the thing that made me question why I'm here and question literally everything and that is my Lord Jesus Christ. I know that he's real and I know that he has kept me alive because I have personally witnessed amazing miracles and you can't just plant that in someone else's heart they have to feel it so I pray that you all feel the joy that having belief in Jesus Christ I pray you have that joy that he's given me usually I finish off with like my own plugs and everything but it just doesn't feel right now because this is kind of like a weird a weirder episode just a nice little mother's day special typical me being different deciding to do a mother's day special when i haven't when it's saint patrick's day tomorrow when i'm releasing this and i didn't do a christmas special or anything but mother's day is the one i decide to uh, decide to do um, and if you've enjoyed this Maybe with enough praise I can get my mother to come on again and tell another mad story. Maybe. More whiskey I think.